Hey there, this is Fred Pissarro, and you're listening to Metal Matters, the official Gimme Metal podcast, where we explore all things new, some things classic, but all things heavy, with my co-host, Michael Berdan. We're honored to have Walter Hoymaker as our guest on today's show. Walter is the key creative force behind what is debatably the most important annual event in extreme music, the legendary Roadburn Festival. Every April since its inception in 1999 until the global pandemic shifted the landscape, Roadburn has hosted everything from the best contemporary heavy artists to once-in-a-lifetime performances from living legends such as Hawkwind, Goblin, and Gizem. Over the years, the fest has become an integral communal event and a pollination site for thousands of metalheads, punks, and heavy music lovers the world over. After the necessary cancellation of Roadburn's 2020 installment, they are back this year with Roadburn Redo, a weekend of special live stream events curated with the love and attention to detail the festival is known for. We caught up with Walter to talk about Roadburn Redo as well as his beginnings some of the wild and unique Roadburn moments throughout the years, and the ever-increasing importance of community. How you doing, man? Uh, wow. <laughs> I, I, I'm okay. Just trying yeah. to survive these weird and unprecedented times. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, oh, my God. It's like <laughs> we are still in the midst of a lockdown here in the Netherlands or like a mockdown, as we dare to say over here. As Did you say mockdown? Yeah, mockdown, because people yeah, are like yeah. fed up with everything and there is a lot mm-hmm. of civil obedience, disobedience, I mean. So it's all a bit crazy and weird. Yeah, I saw, I saw some footage of people like almost full on rioting uh, when, they, when they called for the last lockdown over there. It looked pretty wild. It was like extremely wild. It was like we had the, 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 the we had the lockdown, but they extended it with an uh, an evening curf- curfew from like nine o'clock on, mm-hmm. and we didn't have any curfew. I think since the Second World War, war or something. So all these youngsters like were like all these street savvy kids were like, okay, let's fight the police. Oh <laughs> and yeah. there was like there was a three three night riot which was absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. Unheard of uh, here in the Netherlands. But luckily everything is like quite okay right now. But we have elections coming up. Um, after the weekend, like for uh, for government and people are venting all their anger and and everything. So it's just weird times. Everything is okay. It's still like very calm down, but people are very vocal that they are like fed up with all the, the preventive measures and with COVID and everything. But I guess 
it's the same uh, on your end. Depending on where you are, uh, certain places more so than others. Uh, it's it's gotten a little a little bit better with uh, the vaccine distribution kind of amping up. How's uh, how's vaccine rollout been around your way? It it, it was quite slow in the beginning. At the beginning of uh, of January, it's quite was quite slow, and we were like, I think, second last in Europe for the rollout. But everything it's picking up speed right now, and it's okay. And according to the government, everybody will get their first jab before like July, and that was two days ago. And today, the news broke that a certain like vaccine is is a bit like. They cannot meet the, del- the delivery quota, so in the next week. So you, you never know. It's they say one thing one day, and there is something, uh, something other stuff is going on the next day. So it's basically fingers crossed. And did you get it yet? No, I didn't get it yet. Oh, okay. I my my GP told me today that it will be in the next month or something. I'm I'm fifty five. I'm turning fifty six in May. Uh-huh. And they count backwards, like here in our neighborhood, the healthcare center is now um, vaccinating the 62 years old and they drop like a year. Oh, okay. So, so he said like in the next couple of weeks or a month, uh, you will be invited to come over and get yours. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting that that's how they do that over there. Over here, they're doing like... You know, if you're like a cop or firefighter or doctor or teacher, you get the get it first. And then if you have comorbidities, you know, or like, you know, to have a sickness or something. And then so it has nothing to do with age, essentially. No, they did the same over here as well. Like the healthcare workers, policemen, everything. They were already vaccinated in January, February. Then there were certain risk risk groups. And in the risk groups, they, they drop down in age. Yet. And like the, old, the elderly have been uh, vaccinated who are in the like, elderly homes and everything. And now uh, they are on track with all the, those people that were like assigned to the vaccines. That is going up to speed. And now they are inviting the other groups like by age and everything. It's, it's, but it changes like... It changes like every week because then they forget something and then it's people lobbying at the government like, hey, you forgot us. We are like first responders too. And so mm-hmm. it's sometimes I cannot even keep up what changes any anymore. Yeah, I get that totally. Um, um, so, uh, well, I just want to say, first of all, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure I, I don't know if. Well, if, if Bernan said it earlier, but I'm definitely speaking for him if he didn't. That's that, that's um, very risky. <laughs> I appreciate you being on here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> with us? No, 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 no. That, no, that that's cool. You can say that. Yeah, we very much appreciate you being uh, being on here. Thanks, Walter. Well, I I feel very welcome already. Very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, we'll we'll just jump right in and um, let's talk about, man, the past couple of years has been so crazy for for you and the fest, you know, like everybody else has got their interesting times as well. But, you know, it's um, 
I know the whole the whole thing with Roadburn. It's so many, so many Americans and people from all over the world coming to your fest and and uh, the Netherlands, you know, and so so many bands like um, using that as an anchor and all that. And it's such a key fest to a lot, a lot of people. Um, I guess you know last year, uh, last year it took you guys a little bit to finally. Um, pull a plug on it, I guess, um, because of there's like, what, was there like different pressures from the government? How did that exactly happen? It, it, it was weird and interesting times. Like at first we didn't really know what hit us. Like there were like all kinds of like uh, news flashes and news reports that COVID was hitting Italy very hard and like Austria and our government didn't respond at first. They were like, oh, this is this novice kind of virus. And there was talk that, that maybe things could get postponed or need to get canceled. And we were in full preparation for the fest. Like it was already like the first cases. Like, no, we were in full preparation. It was at the end of like... Um, February, early March, and we started to get a bit nervous because we didn't know what our government would decide or not. And then suddenly the very first COVID um, hospitalization in the Netherlands was in Tilburg. Like out of all places, the news broke, the first COVID patients in the Netherlands is hospitalized in Tilburg. And then shit hits the, shit hit the fan. It was like, people start like emailing us and there was like bands and managers like, is the fest going ahead? And we didn't know. We didn't know what the stance of our government would be. All we knew, we didn't have an insurance for a pandemic or anything like this. So we couldn't like cancel ourselves out of the blue we didn't know the the ramifications of it we didn't know what it would uh, what it would mean legally and financially we didn't know shit show to say we weren't prepared about this like our minds was like the festival is within a month and we were talking to all these people all over the world and everybody got like anxious and and like scared because it was so new to everybody. We started to get messages out on Facebook. Hey, people, we don't know what to do. Bands were dropping out and people didn't want to travel anymore. Of course, we wanted to have um, uh, safety first, but we needed to have a word from the government, whether like who was liable and, and then like, only three weeks prior to the festival, we had to say, we have to cancel this. But we didn't know anything about like how to handle ticket refunds or that if we could postpone the festival. It was literally mayhem. And suddenly I wasn't this festival promoter anymore. I was like a lawyer. I was a like a crisis kind of manager. Yeah, I became a politician. All yeah, triage, politician, yeah. and it, it, it was just a rough time and nobody in the world could see what actually was really happening. We couldn't, we didn't know that like yeah. fast forward to now that we would be a year later in the same 
circumstances. Mm-hmm. It was very rough to make the call to postpone Roadburn. It was very rough to address the fact that we had no idea what it would mean on all levels to do this. Yeah. I mean, let's be fair. That's probably the first, you guys are the first fest that I can think of that would probably, like an international fest that um, would probably get canceled. I can't think of anything before that. I mean, there's South by, but, but there's South by, but that's domestic, you know? Um, And also thinking like, because yeah, of the nature of, of festival, people, festival, like bands flying in, you know, it's not a, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a very like local centric thing. And so you must have already spent so much on deposits and plane tickets, let alone like all of the refunds. It's just got to have been an immense hit. And you'd already put so much work into promotions. I mean, it seemed like it was already like all all sold out basically uh and had been for a while yeah it had been sold out of Mm. course we had done many deposits for bands flights were booked we had a full crew working for us like everything was already like being ordered like uh everything to make the 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 couple hall uh to prepare the couple hall for the fest pas were being ordered like everything was in everything was in motion the whole crew was working and then suddenly you get hit by something like this. And a lot of the attendees had questions like they had questions about flights, about hotels, about their travels to Tilburg and whether we were involved with their hotel rooms or whether we would be involved with like the travel circumstances. And we didn't know either. We had no clue. And we started to notice that the hotels in Tilburg didn't know how to handle this. Nobody knew how to handle this. And it was such a turmoil of uncertainty. And also people were getting like very anxious about their livelihoods. I spoke to bookings agents and managers and bands that totally panicked about their future, about their livelihood. And we had the same. And in the midst of all this, you have to make decisions. Nobody could predict what was coming. And we had a lot of flack as well from people that got very angry and everything. And people were, people like accused me of like ripping them off and uh, ripping them off of their ticket money and everything. But the truth is, we simply didn't know how to handle it. We had no clue. We had no guidance from the government. And we really had to wait for like the, those guidelines and how to address all this. Luckily, fast forward a year later, all the people that have asked for a refund have been refunded. We start the festival. We, we do the festival again in 2022 start all over again with the with with the lineup and everything but it took us a whole year to handle all this well i i will say that like in my experience (laughs) um you guys i don't know there's not many there's not many fests that have definitely given out refunds let me put it that way um it sounds like you guys are going above and beyond personally um I don't know. That's just, that's what I've heard anyways. And a lot of people are just postponing and all of that. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Kudos to you on that. But um, yeah. 
Thank you. Though it was not, 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 not easy, and I understand the anger from people. There was also a lot of support. The majority of people showed us full, full uh, support, and that helped me to cope with all this. That was like about 90% of the people that bought tickets showed support, kept their tickets, rolled them over to 2022, and just helped also online when things got heated. And though the, the, the thing was really difficult over the year, when you started to notice what COVID really was, and with all the lockdowns, that a lot of bands weren't active anymore, that bands were living apart, for, like band members were living apart in different states, different states and countries with different measures, and everything became so tied up, so tight, it, it, it really worries me about what the underground will look like when things will turn back to normal or go back to normal what will be left from this thriving underground scene and yeah. worries me i time. mean I, I i yeah i you know i i worry about that kind of thing but then at the same time i mean you and i know that that uh especially when it comes to the underground scene that they that they're part of that 90 percent that you were just talking about you know they're the resilient type they're the people that that don't even care about the money it's about more about the people and the scene and all of that you know and, um, i can definitely see that being their focus um and fighting clawing their way back to where some semblance of where they were you know that's what i start noticing too and makes me very happy there has been uh, there has been released a lot of good underground music too. In a way, it's also exciting time musically and artistically right now. And it's, 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 it's also very good to see that bands and artists getting back on track, that they are getting a bit more into the creative uh, side of things as well. And they feel inspired. And Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're, uh, we're in a fortunate situation with uniform even though our our drummer lives um lives in texas and the other two of us are in new york uh you know we have access to studios uh we have you know we, we all have uh have uh recording setups at home on top of that so we've been able to stay busy and i like to think that you know playing live it's an integral part of being a band and you know connecting with an audience and just you know just a sense of release that you get through playing a show but it's just one part of it you know um but that also comes from this place of privilege for us because it is easy for us to just go and hit record and have that be that and work on other stuff like you were saying other bands you know people live in different countries people live on other coasts and it's just it's it's going to be interesting watching things kind of uh, kind of coalesce and turn into something new when things get quote unquote back to normal. Really wondering what will happen. All I know is that many of the venues over here are already fully booked for the end of the year for the first like seven eight months of 2022. A lot of the venues have been completely booked out with shows. So, like, with all these smaller underground bands that tour around Roadburn that we invite to the festival, 
it's I'm just worried well how they can put up a tour in April uh, next year when there are so many of these venues being booked out and it's it, it, it's 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 really interesting it's worrisome at the same time but I hope as as Fred says we are the resilient type so I think that people will come up with different means and different opportunities to keep doing what they are what they do like touring making good music and maybe we are getting like a complete new underground scene that's going back to like the DIY shows and like going back to exciting opportunities I think there's been a lot of like different band-aids that have happened you know in in the, in the wake of this and part of that is like you know, like the online streaming thing. And I think some people have gotten a lot of, a lot more creative with that um, as far as, you know, video is concerned. And you guys are doing some of that for, you're, do, you're doing that for this year's edition of uh, um, Roadburn. Um, if you want to tell us a little bit about this year's edition, I know a lot of people are excited about seeing some of the bands playing this year. We decided to do at least something. We couldn't cope with the idea of having no road burn two years in a row. And due to the look of the drawer or maybe privilege, we were granted a little money to do the online version so that we could keep at least the infrastructure alive here in the Netherlands. So Roadburn Redux started at first to like commission uh, uh, some bands here in the Netherlands and some Belgian bands too to to write music for Roadburn Redux and play and, and do the premiere online at the festival. That was like actually the start of the whole idea of Roadburn Redux. Then at least we can still show people the world over how versatile um, the underground scene is and that we are basically still all alive. And uh, we also wanted the bands to make new, new new music and to write new music to give them hope for the for the, to literally bring them hope and um, that they can look forward instead of being completely immersed in all the preventive measures. And throughout the whole process, doing that, we started to notice that we were we were getting approached by bands uh, from the entire community and. Then we decided to have like 15 bands doing like a live broadcast and then offering like quite a lot of bands the opportunity to hand over pre-recorded shows or track premieres or video premieres so that we have a weekend of basically roadburn with good music and a good streaming platform and a good uh, way to reconnect with each other and communicate during the weekend. We still have to launch the uh, streaming platform and, and the streaming platform has a live blog complete with um, like Zoom functions and chat functions and everything. Basically, that whole streaming site is, is based upon connection and uh, communication so that we can all like congregate that weekend and, and enjoy each other's company. And, and have good music that weekend. And I know it's not like a substitute for what real life shows are, but giving all these musicians 
the opportunity to create and play music, albeit like virtually, it's a sign of hope. And it's, it's literally saying to them like, hey, here we are. We are still alive. That's the whole premise of everything. Yeah, and I think um, I think like a, a close, a close. See, that's the thing about Robert. I think Robert's always been uh, curated well, and you know the the bands are so important to that. But um, I also think I've always thought a close second is just how tight knit the community is. You know, um, how like it's just it just seems like I know it sounds cliche and kind of dumb, but it kind of feels like there's, you know, there's, there's like a family event kind of there every year. Um, kind of feels like that a lot of the time. It, it is like that. It's a gathering of all these like-minded people, like whether it's the artists, the attendees, the industry folk, uh, folk, the, the press, everybody comes together. And as, uh, as Mike, as you have experienced, there are no like, boundaries between all these people anymore like everybody is congregating there is like i have many times i have to explain that backstage at roadburn is not exciting there is nothing happening there people are scattered all over they want to meet each other talk with each other like it's the magic happens front stage at roadburn yeah absolutely i i feel like Roadburn in a way that no other fest that I can think of is this like it's a congregating spot for for bands and for labels and for you know for 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 people in publicity and AR, of course, but also for fans. Like it is like I know people who who don't play in bands who go to Roadburn every year to see friends from other countries who also don't play in bands you know it is that the network is so vast and it's it's really quite a beautiful thing and commendable that you made it a point that with roadburn redo that you did something in such a way that they can still have interaction people can still talk like yeah it might not be physical but like communication period means it means just as much as the music. And that's indeed what it's all about. We wanted to make sure that people could reconnect. We cannot travel. We can only see each other virtually. And so why not trying to set something up that really connects to everybody? And it's, we are working really hard behind the scenes to make that happen. And I'm... I'm very grateful. Becky is very grateful to SSTO 13 that so many bands wants to participate and like also that people like you want to make a podcast about it so that we, we are all staying connected. So, and it's a bridge gap between uh, the preventive measures and the moment when we can actually uh, like hug each other and be among all these people that we love and inspire us. So this this comes apart where I'm going to indulge myself, and I believe that by indulging myself, I will be indulging a lot of other people's <laughs> curiosity as well. I'm pretty sure that I'm going to indulge uh, Berdan on this as well. I'm so already I, indulged. 
<laughs> Number one thing I wanted to ask you, and I've always wanted to ask you this, is where did underground music come from for you? Like, what was the, what were the bands or the scenes or like um, that kind of got you into, you know, like kind of like underground music? Because I know, like, you know, you you had so many interesting bands on Roadburner. All uh, you know, this this during this time, everyone from, you know, like Gizem to like Comus, which I think that right there is the widest um, lane to me. It's insane. It's so cool though. Um, so I guess let's start there. Like where, what do you think was like the moment that you got off of the, let's say the black Sabbath ramp and you started to hear like, Sir Lord Baltimore or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, what was that process? Oh, that is a very, it's a very like weird kind of process. I uh, I'm I'm 55. I'm turning 60. Uh, uh, I'm 55, 56 in a couple of months, and I started out when I was 15, like as a metal kid, like you know, Maiden, Priest, Saxon, all these bands. I was hanging out at this youth club, and there was a also a part of the people there were like in the punk scene and in the new wave scene back then. So I started to hear a lot like about Dead Kennedys and, and Susie and the Benjis and the Cure as well in the mid 80s. And though I was like a real metalhead and I didn't want anything to do with all that new wave and punk at the moment because that was not credible metal, so to say. During the years, I started to notice how much that music has had affected me as well. And while growing up and getting a little bit uh, 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 broad-minded or open-minded over the years, I dive right in with things as the Stooges and Scratch Acid and uh, like all these bands and, and like Gibby Haynes, th th those people. And I started to embrace like also like all this Scandinavian death and black metal when it came out at first. And suddenly I met other people that were more in the uh, noise the noise scenes and people that were really in the guitar underground and people who are in the electronic scene and they all teach me things over the years they gave me good music they were telling about how certain bands uh, crossed over and influenced others so it was mainly like a very open-minded journey my whole life Though it took me till like I was 23 or 24 when I started to say, yes, I love metal, but there is so much more. And of course, like with Roadburn, when we started to invite our curators and handed over a day of the festival to them, they blew the doors wide, blew the doors wide open, like musically and artistically. And I just embraced all that. That was just exciting and and everything. But still, at heart, I'm the psych guy. I'm the guy that is heavily into Sir Lord Baltimore and Dust and Hawkwind and Grateful Dead and Doris and, and all the weird 60s and early 70s crowd rock. But on the other hand, I also love my black metal and I also love like extreme metal, like a lot. But there is other people at Roadburn that know so much more about it. 
though I embrace it and I'm, I'm, I'm super happy that at one point in my life, I was able to literally embrace it all and not being, um, that my personality was not based on being a metalhead, but loving metal and other stuff at the same time that that was like something perfectly normal. Uh, I think, I think it is. And I think I, I know that, uh, I know that, uh, I, I, I'm speaking, speaking for myself here. I mean, to me, like metal is just another part of your personality. You know, it's kind of like, I, when I when I would get angry, I would just put on vulgar display of power or something. And I'd be okay, you know. Like twenty minutes later, and I know Berdan said that ad nauseum as well. You know, um, Berdan, what was a record like? There was records like that for you, I'm sure, growing up, right? Uh, oh, oh yeah, you know, I I think if I just go to like my first CD, you know, my first real experience um, was like I I got. Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears. And I felt like this like this strange identification that I that I never had with anything before. It spoke to a part of me that like that was completely lacking a vocabulary until that moment. Then comes Slayer, you know? And like, you know, I I hear like I hear Hello Waits, I hear Rain and Blood, and I hear Seasons of the Abyss for the first time. I, I'll never forget hearing the song Seasons of the Abyss on my, uh, on my local college radio station when I was 12 years old. And like just my world completely changing. I haven't been the same person since then. Metal, metal uh, is truly transformative. And I have that with lots of other kinds of music too. And I think that comes like Walter was saying, you know, as you get older and you come become more secure in your identity, you, at least for me, I was able to embrace other music um, that has the same kind of um, con like conjuring the same, like similar kinds of emotions hitting similar kinds of nerves that might not be metal, you know, 100%, 100%. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. It's the same here. I vividly remember hearing Metallica's kill em all when it came out, like we were, there was no internet back then and no social media. So we, we had to read something in, in, in like the metal magazines. And here it was like Metallica. This is like really raw metal. It's like punk. And we were like these, Metalheads and we were like, we need to get the album. Got it on import. The first time I heard those songs, I was really like angry and disappointed. Like, this is not metal. This is punk. How is this possible? How did this end up in a metal magazine? <laughs> That's amazing. Later on, it's the album that started a huge discovery into all that kind of music because there was so much excitement. The same with Slayer when Show No Mercy came out. It was like, holy shit, what's going on here? Why are these bands playing so... Why are they embracing punk so much and hardcore and everything? And I was just on another journey. And though I have never been a big like hardcore fan, a friend of mine was, and he had a car, and he took me to a lot of like all the New York hardcore bands when they played 
the Netherlands and I've seen all these bands in the 80s and it was like I was just gobsmacked that there was that other world and that energy and that music is not about like beautiful melodies and great songs alone it's also about an exchange of energy and that is something that I start to find in also in, in, in a lot of other kinds of music like when I hear Uniform and when you guys were playing Roadburn, that takes me back to all the exciting times when I discovered new bands and, and, and bands that were different and it's, it's the, the excitement and the exchange of energy that plays such a pivotal part in, in Roadburn as well and it's just like really just really happy that that we are a festival that's not thriving on the guitar riffs alone and that it's not thriving on Black Sabbath's legacy alone anymore but it's also like uh, the perfect platform for bands like Uniform and, and like Hyde and, 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 and like Boy Harsher as well that there is it's basically the same music but done in a different way but with the same energy the same feel the same passion and I want people I want people to immerse themselves in this and just embrace this, this open-minded kind of thing. Absolutely. What do you think is, um, God, I'm sure you get asked this from time to time, your proudest get. No, my proudest moment, it it, it, it differs a bit. Like, of course, I'm super proud that I did something with Hawkwind and Blue Cheer because that's my classic, the classic rock. That's the the classic rock Walter talking. But having a Tricky Cons first show and working with Tom Warrior and and, and Voivod, that is Walter the Extreme Metal Guy talking. That is like, I love these bands very dearly. But also having the Roses uh, uh, celebrating their 30th anniversary at Roadburn, that's underground Walter talking. That is like, and having the Amanda Gallas uh, playing Roadburn, that's my experimental, like my experimental inner self talking brings me back to like, I grew up at this youth club and there was a guy who was really into that music. And when he was fed up with people at the bar, he put on like the litanies of Satan to literally scare people away. And I was one of the only guys in the room then like going, I love this so much. And then 30 years later, she is playing Roadburn. It's all these little like amazing memories coming back. And, but I'm also proud that Roadburn, the transformation from like the stoner and Doomfest from the beginning to this festival that's redefining heavy that that whole trajectory i think that's what i'm the most proud about because we had no idea what the festival that the festival would become like this when we started out no blueprint no ideas just go along with we literally uh, went along what the uh, underground we we um i don't know how to say it. We we uh, we we took the same journey as the underground. We naturally progressed as well. Yeah, absolutely. I I need to ask, and uh, I I you know I'm just 
I've been so curious since it happened. And how did you, Fred already knows what I'm about to ask. Um, Walter probably knows too. Um, how did, how did Gizem happen? All credit to Lee Dorian and to Russell Haswell, but and mainly all credits to Lee Dorian. I knew Gizem from way back when uh, like Napalm Dad started and all the grindcore bands. Hadn't thought about him for years. When we had Lee Dorian as curator, he said, I'm going to call Sakevi and try if he wants to come to Roadburn. And apparently Lee had done a lot for him and vice versa. They were really good friends. And later on, I understood uh, that it was a kind of a thing of honor between Lee and Sakevi. They knew each other. They helped each other out. They had lots of mutual respect and they wanted to honor each other for what they meant to each other. And when Lee asked them, he said, yes, Lee booked the flight straight away. The same day when they said, yes, he booked the flight uh, to Rise Above Records. We had to reimburse him the flights later on, but it was Lee who made this completely happen. And I understood that they befriended um, Sakevi when he was in, in Japan, uh, and also Russell Haswell was in Japan. And there was this bond between these people, and they had this mutual like understanding, agreement, honorary thing that this should happen sometime. And it just came all together at Roadburn, and nobody expected this. And I remember that we, and, and I was like, Lee, Lee was over the moon and I was like, kiss him, pussyfooter. Like, oh God, I heard that track maybe like 15 years ago for the last time. When we announced it, we announced kiss him and the Amanda Gallus at the very same time, but also Converge doing Jane Doe and playing the Blood Moon set. That was the announcement, those four things. And never in Roadburn history, the site crashed and people went mental. Yeah, I remember, I mean, I saw that and like, I, I, I felt like, I felt like I was on acid or something, you know, it was <laughs> like, I, it was like suddenly, so, or like salvia, like suddenly something hallucinogenic happened, yeah. you know, like you, you just don't expect to see like, like that doesn't happen in, in like, in like human science, you know, <laughs> like it, it goes against the periodic table. Yeah. I, 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 I hear you. It's, it's like that. And like, I have to admit they were like, in my mind, I was, I understand how important the band were once they were announced. I, I feel so privileged that I could, um, that I was like witnessing uh, 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 having uh, witnessing getting uh, Gizem to Roadburn that I was a witness of it and how Lee did it and the mutual respect between Lee and Sakevi was like I felt very moved to see that and that whole honorary thing but maybe what I remember the most is they already arrived on the Wednesday evening I think they played on Friday and on Thursday they were walking around and on, on Friday morning, their merch came really early in the loading dock. It was like Dylan from Full of Hell 
was there and the guys from Converge and there were so many band members. They were like anxiously already at like 10 o'clock in the loading dock and came up to me. Walter, do you know if there's t-shirts already? And everybody <laughs> band, shit, crazy. And like, I, I remember vividly, like uh, Dylan was like, I need 10 t-shirts. There are so many people texting me. I need to bring them home. Yeah. And oh, I got both of them from that, from there. And I wasn't even there. <laughs> Yeah. Like, and and then seeing like for me like all these these musicians I I I, I feel uh, how do I say like they became kids again and 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 like these underground kids again super excited and to see that and witness that made me feel super proud like and I was like we are just all the same mm-hmm. like you guys being in bands. I'm doing a festival, but in the end, we are these mu- underground aficionados, and we are all from the same cloth, literally. Yeah, totally, yeah. It's it's really funny because um, I don't know. Over the years, like I've you know, like I've been messaging and become friends with um, Dwid from Integrity, and I know Bernan has too. Um, yeah, yeah. Dwid, Dwid's definitely a friend. Yeah, and so it's really funny that you know, like obviously he's, he's got this awkward persona, you know, that people think about him. But I think one, one really funny thing about it is over the years, we've kind of talked about our love for uh, Japanese hardcore and stuff. And so they were going to, uh, you know, he found out that um, Gizem was playing Roadburn and every day we'd like message a little bit. He's like, Oh, Fred, I'm going to go meet him. We've been messaging, you know, like I'm such a fan, yada, yada, yada. And then, um, I'll remember it was like 7 a.m. on that Saturday or maybe Friday. And there's a photo of the two of them together. He sent it to me. He's like, this just happened. <laughs> and, I <was> like, <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is like, um, this is like Dwayne in a super nerd moment. I feel privileged to see this. You know, <laughs> this, this brings another memory. Like I was like a year later or two years later. In 2018, yeah, two years later, I was in Southern California in San Diego to talk about that whole San Diego takeover. And me and Dave Sweetapple, we drove along and went to a, a, a secondhand record store. We mm-hmm. got in, there was this guy at, at the counter and he was wearing a Gizm shirt. And yeah. like, we were talking to the guy and he was like, he noticed that I was not an American guy and he asked me, where did you from? Where are you from? I said, I'm from the Netherlands. You know that Gizem played there two years ago? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, literally, I froze a bit and Sweet Apple was like, yeah, this is Walter from Roadburn. He was with me, Dorian, and this was making it all happy happen. And the guy was like, what? But I was similarly awkwardly like, oh my God, like, what do I have to say? But the fact that there is somebody in Southern California, a random me, a meter between me and him, and he is raving about that Gizm plate, the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. And I still don't know how we achieved it. As I said, there is no blueprint. Everything is done, especially uh, uh, f- uh, from my end, is done from the heart and soul. And I think that needs to be everything if, uh, I do with Roadbird needs to ooze my heart and soul. And 
I, I still think that when you do something and there is a lot of passion, then you can inspire people. And I always say at the core of Roadburn are the artists. And I want to make sure that it's a, a really good platform for them to, uh, to perform because if, uh, the artists feel at home and at ease at Roadburn, they can play like really, really, really good shows. And that reflects also on the people who see the shows and, and it creates like a bond between everyone. And that's the main goal I have always had with Roadburn is to connect everyone. Yeah. It, it's remarkable. What are you uh, personally excited for seeing at uh at roadburn redo you know what's uh who who you got that 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 you're that you're really like you know it's i'm, excited I'm particularly excited about the 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 bands that do the commissioned music pieces what uh, how the the complete lockdown and all the preventive measures and all the stress and, and anxiety from uh, like COVID has been uh, uh, will be uh, has translate to their music whether they have been really affected by it or their music has been like uplifting to leave it all behind. That, that's what I'm really extremely curious about. Like um, to see what's going, what, what they have in store for us. But the idea that there are so many bands literally going the extra mile to be part of it it's, I think I'm looking uh, forward to most just being online and talking to everyone. There has to be over the years, though. I mean, Walter, there had to have been. Okay. So, number one, first question I wanted to ask is I mean, for someone who's, you know, like you've, you've, you've landed some incredible gets over the years, um, who, has there been a, like a, a white whale out there that's uh, that's that has escaped you that you that you really want to get, um, or is that something that you're keeping close to your chest as well? Or no, no, no. Oh, oh, of course, people have been talking about like I I I I think the same like Burning Witch, Botch, all these legendary like bands and U.S. underground bands that. Uh, that are not together anymore that 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 are the same bands that i wanted for Oldburn, of course and it's that are the bands that that you know that you don't get but every year you still hope and also talking to all the curators they have a lot of the same bands that they want to get together as well and then you know it's not going to happen or it's super difficult and then suddenly Gizm is at Roadburn. So, you know, okay, there is an underground God, so to say, that <laughs> makes things happen. But yeah, yeah. Grant's wishes every once in a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not that things escape, but sometimes things take years. It took me 10 years to convince uh, Godspeed Your Black Emperor to play Roadburn. But they played the two sets. It was amazing. And sometimes you need to be patient and like just sit it all out. And would you say that that was like the best? Your, I mean, uh, Gizem aside, I guess. Um, would you say that that was one of your biggest um, personal achievements? Like getting like 
them or like I know you're a big fan of the heads, you know. I the heads, I'm a huge fan. Super happy that um they uh they played Roadburn a lot. I started Roadburn with Jurgen. He is not involved in the festival anymore. But like for him, he was a massive fan of Swans. And we it was his big dream to get Swans at Roadburn. And I knew them from the 80s, a bit from the 90s, but didn't follow them like for a long while. But when we had them at Roadburn, I saw him happy and I saw so many people happy. I shed a little tear because then you start to understand why why such a band is so important. And then it's not just that you had the band at Roadburn, but just to see all these people so incredibly happy and like... And on top of that, I got to meet Michael Gira, spoke to him for like quite a bit on that day. And that are those things that, that makes make me incredibly proud. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I will tell you, you know, it's conversely, you know, there's been a lot of bands over the years that I've seen um, at Roadburn or, or, or exclusively at Roadburn um, that I hadn't seen anywhere else. Like, um, I remember... Um, seeing Amon Ra for the first time in New York city, they played, um, they played like a basement, um, of lit lounge, I believe like 2009, something like that. You know, I mean, literally this is like a 50 cap room. Okay. And they just utterly destroyed that room. And then they came to it one more time with Zoroaster and there was another 50 people in that room. And I kept on telling, I was like, oh my God, this band's insane. And then they just disappeared for 10 years, did not come to the States. And they played Roadburn several times during that period. And uh, then they came back and now they're, you know, they're like, they're like, uh, I, I don't want to say air apparent and neurosis, but like, you know, they're definitely snowballing in that direction. And, and it's the same over here. They became huge in Europe, huge. It's it's to see them grow from that that small band to like fifteen years ago. They can play the two thousand cap rooms over here now. It's they are as big in in Europe as Neurosis, like on the same level. Everything. It's a lot of the bands at the end of the day want to play the fest, you know. They want to like, they, and they would love to be curator. You know what I'm saying? And so they, you know, there's probably, there might even be some leeway that they might give monetarily to like play the fest, but at some point it's just not feasible, you know? Um, yeah. And I consider uh, us very lucky that we have many bands playing Woodburn that the uh, the money end of things wasn't maybe the most important thing, but there is a certain like category of bands that's simply not feasible. And of course, I would love to have King Crimson. A, it's not possible like production wise, but also not fee wise. It's just not possible. A band like that will eat uh, will eat up the budget for three entire days. Yeah. So. That is something that you have to explain. Yes, finally, we have got like King Crimson, but on the Roadburn Thursday, Friday and Saturday, we will have DJs only. For the record, some of my favorite times at Roadburn 
I did not. There was not a single band playing. <laughs> I have good recollections so. of the after parties and in the middle of the night I mean, I, I, I've, I've heard about such things. Uh, my my roadburn after parties involve me sitting in a hotel room by myself eating Tony Chaco Lonely Bars. <laughs> and, uh, but, but I'm not saying this in a bad way. If anybody knows me at all, they know that that's exactly what I want to be doing at all times. And that's my idea of heaven. Oh, I, I, I understand. There is moments at roadburn that I'm just trying to be by myself. It's like I escape everything so that I'm alone sitting somewhere on the curb in Tilburg in the city center, just being a bit anonymous and just see people walk and like that people have no idea. And I love that just, and mostly I'm wondering what, what I see and what's happening. And sometimes it's hard to understand that I'm also responsible for things like this. And like everybody like Becky and everybody is responsible for it. But just the idea that you're sitting there and you're like, okay, I have worked in my room uh, back at home or at the O13 for a whole year, just behind a computer screen. And this is what this has become. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Metal Matters. Make sure you like or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Spotify, Sticker, Amazon to get the most recent episodes automatically delivered to your phone. Thanks for listening, and catch you next week.